The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. It's got a bit of a different show today. Had an opportunity to sit down with a man named Mike McFall. He is the CEO of Bigby Coffee, Michigan's own franchise that of course is growing by leaps and bounds across the country. He's written a new book. We'll talk to him about the business of coffee, becoming a startup owner, what you need to do to succeed. That's all coming up on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very, very much for being with me on this Thursday. And I'm really excited to have with me today on the program Mike McFall. He is, of course, the co-CEO of Big B Coffee. He's also an author now. His book is called Grind, a no-bullshit approach to take your business from concept to cash flow. Welcome, sir. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, first of all, congratulations on the success of, of, of Bigby. Um, you know, I've watched this company from its early days, back when it had a different name. Yes. You went through all of that. Yes. Uh, but, you know, we were always proud. It was a Michigan-based company uh, that has grown significantly. Uh, and, and before we get into the book, I do want to talk about uh, the level of success you've seen and how quickly you were able to grow it. And, and I want to ask how much of that was based on the fact that Michigan, at the time you started, had not yet been completely saturated by some of the really, really big players like the Starbucks of the world. How big an advantage was that for you? Well, I think when we got started was was an opportune time. I, I think that was a factor for sure, and I do think competition was less. Uh, I would, I would, uh, I would argue the words that were completely saturated. <laughs> but uh, no, it was. I mean, so '95 was early in the game, sure. no doubt about that. And there were a couple of, of of local concepts that had some pretty good roots, but it it there wasn't a lot going on in coffee then. But you played up your Michigan roots yeah. uh, from day one. Uh, why was that important to you? Well, I mean, I think for, for, for most people, they'd rather walk into a coffee shop that's uh, local to them and, and where they know the owners. And, and so why wouldn't you play that up? And you can't play that up other places, but where you can, I think you should. Well, you obviously, when you got started, you worked as a barista. You were making basically minimum wage when you got this started in this company and then had risen to co-CEO. Uh, talk, you know, that's something you talk a lot about in the book is that experience of being hands-on making sure you know the business inside and out. And how big a mistake do you think that is for a lot of people that get into maybe buying a franchise? They think these things run themselves. They really don't. They don't, no. And, and that's a huge, uh, when, when we're talking to prospective uh, franchisees, what the, the line I like to use, uh, and I think this is, this is somewhat surprising to, to many people, is that if you're not planning on being the most dedicated and dependable person to your business for the first five to seven years, I, I say don't get started, right? And it is an active investment, meaning you have to manage it, right? And so it's not, you can't just make the investment and hire a manager and plug a manager in and 
and walk away. Uh, and so we're huge advocates of that. In fact, in our agreement, it states that uh, in your first year of owning the business, you have to have an apron on behind the counter making espresso uh, drinks for six hours a day. How do people react to that when you tell them? <laughs> some not well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've we've made we've made some exceptions. Of course, we have a a group that uh, they owned they owned sixty seven uh, Wendy's franchises. Okay, uh, and they weren't uh, they weren't going to have aprons on and be behind the counter. But they also were very experienced in running food service applications remotely through management and so on. And and so that relationship's worked out really well. But for most people, it's important to know the business, you know, at absolutely the ground level. Well, and that's obviously uh, had a big role in your success and, and sort of the methodology you're talking about in, in the book here is making sure that, again, you know that business inside and out and that you are committed to it the way that you need to be. Uh, you take a lot of time in here to make sure that people are looking in the mirror and realizing they aren't all that. Yeah. Uh, that's a hard <laughs> lesson for a lot of people. It Well... It is, but I mean, it is. I'm not saying that there's a certain cast that for the entrepreneur. Sure. Well, what I'm saying is, is everyone has strengths and weaknesses, and and what you have to, what you have to do is be aware enough, self-aware enough, to understand what your weaknesses are, so that you can supplement those, and then also take advantage of your strengths. And so that's that's the that's the real message. And there's nobody out there that's the the perfect uh, the perfect uh, personality and character to be an entrepreneur. You know, I've been very fortunate over my my career to have a business partner, and we're we're pretty good at <laughs> pointing out to each other what uh, where we're maybe impacting the business in a way that is unhealthy, uh, or pointing out to each other how we're impacting the business in a healthy way and, and to do more of that. So, uh, but a lot of people don't have that kind of a relationship and it's imperative that you, you look at that stuff. Well, I mean, startups are notoriously difficult. The failure rate of startup businesses is, is astronomical. Um, I'm in the midst of doing one myself and it's not easy cool. at all. Um, but you know, there are things that are going to come up and, and smack you in the face that you're not ready for. I think you call it a gut punch from the boogeyman uh, in the book here. Um, <laughs> That's what it feels like. Well, but keeping that face, that public face, that confidence that you need, even though you know stuff behind the scenes is is maybe teetering a little bit. Um, how do you do that? You have to be an actor. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you're not lying. No, you're but not you're lying. just still it, it, positive. How do you do it? Um, well, what I advocate is always you got to have the end goal laid out. You got to know what you're doing it for. And that end goal has to be inspirational enough to want to get up in the morning and do whatever you have to do to push the business forward. And, you know, we're, we're 25 years old this coming spring, and we still have some of that going on, right? Like organizations uh, – Well, the threats just evolve, I'm guessing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> They're always there. Yeah, exactly. In startup, it's a little more tenuous. Yeah. Uh, but, but so, you know, being, being that amazing actor where no matter what's going on in the business – what you have to do is you have to meet the business as the leader, as as the owner, leader of the business. You have to meet the business where it needs to be met at that point in time. And and that could be showing up and being uh, stern one morning. Uh, or it might be some afternoon that you, you know, you go out and you get everybody pizza and you hang out and have a great time, whatever it might be. But you have to meet the business and the people in the business where they need to be met. That's a really hard thing to figure out. And 
and your mood can't dictate that, (laughs) right? And that's kind of the point. I should remind folks, my guest is Michael McFall. He's the co-CEO of Big B Coffee. He's written a new book called uh, Grind, a no-bullshit approach to take your business from concept to cash flow. And in that section that we were talking about, about meeting the boogeyman, right, and and becoming friends with the boogeyman, you're talking about a situation there that your business was very threatened by the banks that were – basically not happy with your cash flow, even though you were making ends meet, you were doing things the right way. Were there days that you woke up when you're thinking, maybe this was the design all along by them. They could take the parts, dissolve it, and make their money and run. No, I, I never believed that. Okay. Uh, and the reason is... That is, would be a defeatist <laughs> thinking. Yeah. And this book is very much against that sort of thing. Yeah, but I also know that there's not a banker in the world that wanted to take over my business at that point. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was complex. There was a lot going on. I mean, I had uh, I owned coffee shops in multiple states, and and we we were running the franchise entity at the same time. And so I remember one particular meeting uh, with the banker where I I uh, frankly had had it, and uh, I won't go into all the gory details, but I'd had it. And so I took this big ring of keys out of my pocket, which was for all the stores, and you know, and I and I launched him out of the table, and I said, it's yours. And I walked out. 30 seconds later, he was chasing me down the hall. Because <laughs> he didn't want to run. The, he of didn't, course not. Right. And so, you know, but, but um, that, that was a really uh, powerful moment. Um, I learned uh, how amazingly powerful banks are, uh, and they need to be respected. And I think probably the biggest thing I learned in that was that if you're going to be in a relationship with a banker, you have to treat it like a partnership and you have to be completely transparent and you have to show them everything that you have going on and then let them guide you through and they're, they they can end up being an advisor in the end. So even though the book might seem a little disparaging towards bankers, uh, or at I, least I, I didn't get that. Okay, I didn't good. get that. I just I mean, it seemed like this is the kind of thing that might happen to a lot oh, of different people. I'm sure it does. And, and you know, I, I just feel and like read the contract carefully, too. Yeah. And understand <laughs> yeah, it yeah. And, and ask your banker to explain it to you, too. Uh, and they will. And so right now I've got an amazing relationship with my banker and, and I get together with them quarterly and, and, and sit down and they go through everything with me. And it's, it's very helpful. Uh, it's, it's very helpful. Well, I mean, you talk a lot about partnerships here, but when you're franchising stores, you've got then hundreds of partners. Yeah. Uh, making sure that you've got the right one. How do you do that? Well, because, I mean, everybody wants an opportunity. You, you found a way to lower the cost of Entry. Of a franchise, which is a huge deal by like 150,000 bucks, um, which lets people in the door. Yeah. I, I wish I had a, uh, a better answer, but the truth of the matter is for me to sit across the table from somebody and know whether or not they're going to be successful in the business is yeah. almost impossible. And I've brought people into the business that I thought were going to be unbelievable and amazing, and they end up, you know leaving us nine months later and I've I've brought people into the business that I was really worried about and <clears throat> they're some of the most, most amazing franchisees so it's hard it's really hard to, to to know well you talk about you and your partner in here being both sort of perfectionists right wanting mm-hmm. consistency across the brands and all this sort of stuff now when you are bringing in franchisees and partners and things like that I mean as somebody who likes perfection likes to have a little bit of control how difficult is it to relinquish that at times Oh, it, it puts you in a loony bin. <laughs> and, and, uh, and that was, we had some, uh, we had a relationship with Mary Ellen Sheets uh, from Two Men in a Truck very early on in our, in our uh, business. And it was one of the things that she cautioned us about in terms of becoming a franchisee. I mean, or I'm sorry, a franchisor. And, you know, but you got to take the good with the bad. Uh, we have remarkable people that are doing remarkable things with our brand. And 
doing things with our brand that we we could never have done. And so, you know, for every time it's frustrating, I'm also blown away by the positive things that are going on out there. And so, you know, it's like anything else. I mean, there's 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 uh, there's a downside to it. There's an upside to it. And the downside, you know, I walk into a store and you know, maybe the coffee's not extra- uh, extracting exactly the way it should, and it's got a little bit of a different profile. Yeah, does it bother me? Sure, um, but I got to pull myself out and make sure I'm looking at the bigger picture. Well, I, I want to get into this part because uh, there's a section in the book where you say, well, I originally wanted to title this book, Sell More Shit, <laughs> right? And, and But you don't strike me as this naked capitalist type guy. You don't have that sort of, you know, CEO vibe to you at all. Um, <laughs> you know, it just, so, so tell me a little bit about, about what that means because some would just think this is, again, gross capitalism run amok, sell more stuff, sell more, but it doesn't seem like that. It's more of a, a mission focus, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, for any concept to be viable, you've got to generate revenue and you have to generate significant revenue. And so, you know, we learned that early on. Um, and, you know, I, I have no uh, reservations to say that we're trying to grow and, and we're trying to be very, very profitable with that growth. And I mean, nothing wrong with profit. No. Um, but the sell more shit concept in startup, let's be clear about that. In startup, the sell more shit concept is. It is absolutely imperative, and, and you got to figure out how to generate the revenue, or you're not going to make it. And it's a race. I mean, it's an absolute sprint to get to cash flow. And every day that you go by where you're not generating the revenue you need to get the cash flow, money's pouring out, and that's that's an, it's an emergency situation. And so that's why it's just it's critical in startup. Well, you know, you talk about the cash flow and understanding that and sales, and and one of the differences or one of the things you talk about in here is the fact that you know a lot of these guys who are MBAs aren't necessarily good at sales. They're going to be great at running a company that's already got the infrastructure in place, but they're not going to be good at doing this stuff themselves. And you're not disparaging all MBAs. I, I get that. I'm not. I mean, most but, of my friends have MBAs. Well, right? Exactly. Well, the people you're hanging out with now, for sure. But, yeah. um, you know, t- talk a bit about that, because I, I think that's something that people forget. I, I love the story you talk about, about the guy who's the successful businessman and couldn't accept the fact that he didn't know how to do this. Right. Well, I so um, I think people... Uh, that have advanced degrees in business and so on. I think they have to be careful to not look down their nose at salespeople. And the salesperson has a, a kind of a difficult reputation. But hey, my, I'm, in, I'm in the media. I get this. Yeah, so, and I mean, know. my my opinion is that they should be considered some of the most important people in the business. Uh, they're in touch with the customer. They know what the customer needs and wants, and they know how to take your product and and package it up in a way and present it to the potential customer to sell it. So, and there's a there's a there's a book Amir Bide B H I D E um, was a professor at Harvard. He wrote this really academic work, but what he did was he studied the Inc. fastest five hundred the Inc. five hundred fastest growing private countries companies in America, right? And he did that over a 20-year period. And one of the things that I pulled out of that was that 85% of the CEOs of those companies consider themselves the only or primary salesperson in the organization at startup. That's a mind-blowing number. I mean, these are the most successful private companies in America. And I I was our franchise salesman for the first 15 years of our business. I was proud of it. I mean, that was my job, and I did it, and I did it. I, uh, and so I think that um, as entrepreneurs, as people in startup, I think we have to consider ourselves salespeople. 
staying on top of trends, staying on top of the market, I mean, you know, and making sure that you're offering things that customers want. You guys notoriously have a, a pretty thin menu. Um, you've got coffees mm-hmm. and you've got, you know, some of the flavored coffees and the sweet and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of food. You're not trying to do Panera here or anything like that. Um, at what point did you realize that you just needed to focus and be really good at one thing? Well, um, so we've tried a lot of it over the years. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we we finally settled in on, I don't know, it was probably 15 years ago or so, uh, where we decided that we're really good at beverages. And why don't we just need to focus on that? And it's it's worked out well. Uh, our business is very, very streamlined. Uh, it's not very complicated. Uh, and, you know, you look at a Panera, I mean, that is, that's a complex, very complex sure. business. And so, but, you know, people love coffee. They do. And it's a great cup of coffee. And that's, uh, that was our, that was our point in doing it. But I love the fact that you were starting to let people bring in food from outside restaurants, recognizing <laughs> if they're buying some food somewhere else, but they're coming here for our coffee, you must be doing something right. Right. Maybe we're not doing great stuff with the food though. <laughs> right. And, and, but we, we, what we did though is, is we, boiled it down and then the food items that we do offer they're good and 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 they're they have value and so on but you know that game if you're going to play in that game there's people out there doing it really 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 well and doing it a heck of a lot more cost effectively than we could at our scale and so to compete in the in the lunch business or the lunch trade and and that is a competitive world and so we were doing it we weren't doing it that well and our stuff was super expensive well that's not a recipe where you're going to succeed well, and, and again, part of that, too, is then about making the cost of ownership lower, mm-hmm. uh, a less complicated menu that focuses on the stuff that you know is going to work across the board. Uh, I, I know now you're working on new ways to build standalones that are going to be, you know, easily manufacturable and, and placed in standalone locations. Yeah. Uh, it seems like you're constantly working towards making this as easy as possible for somebody to get in. Sure. You know, and and really what it's about is is bringing the product to the consumer in the most efficient, effective way. And so these modular drive-throughs that we're, that we're working on. I just saw the story in Cranes this week, as a matter of fact. Did you see the pictures of I it? I did. No. It's very cool looking. It's very cool. And it's very Bigby looking. It is. It's fun. It's really fun. And so the, the, we have a, a partner, an entrepreneur in, in Alpena who, uh, this guy, he's, he's like a mad scientist. And he, you know, he's rented, I don't know, 150,000 square feet. And he set the whole thing up to build these. And uh, he, you know, he builds them and... He puts them in the back of, of a flatbed truck, delivers them, and you're serving coffee 48 hours later. I mean, it, it's unbelievable, and, and we can put them in a lot of different places. So, you know, we're excited about that. I mean, it, that's to me, that was true innovation going on there, uh, and, uh, and it's going to be an innovative uh, new product. And, you know, as my company's a franchisor, our product is the store. Really? Sure. Yeah. Well, and how important is it to have that standalone location possibility for somebody as opposed to, you know, looking for strip malls and other places where you can put your put your locations? Because, you know, then you're dealing with a whole other animal with landlord, things like that. Yeah. Well, to me, the biggest factor is visibility. And so, you know, you're you're if you're in line strip center, it's tough to be visible. Even end cap strip center sure. drive through is, is still somewhat difficult to 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 see. I mean, these things are standalone. It and looks like something out of the Jetsons. Yeah, they're right? blue. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it looks like a spaceship's going to take off out of them. I mean, they're super modern looking. And, and so that's a beacon. It's signage. Uh, and to me, the, the best thing about it is the visibility street side. That's, to me, you're driving by, you're not going to miss that thing. There's no way in the world you could miss it. 
Uh, I should remind folks, my guest once again is Michael McFall. The book is Grind, a no-bullshit approach to take your business from concept to cash flow. He is the co-CEO of Bigby. Uh, lots of innovation going on with the company right now. Uh, but I sort of want to go back to your personal habits uh, <laughs> and running this business. And this is something I used to do morning drive radio, right? So I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning every day, um, and I had to be ready to go at 5 a.m. The mics came on whether I was there or not. Right. And so I was there five minutes early every single time. You opened at 5.55 a.m. every day, no matter what. 300 seconds early. 300 seconds early. Why 300 seconds? Well, it's, it, you know, it's uh, catchy, right? Yeah. And so you, you remember 300 seconds. You don't remember five minutes. It would be my take. And, and so, but I used to just, uh, I used that moment as a, a way to bring a whole bunch of intensity into the environment right before we opened. And so I would stand there. I'd be ready to go. I'd have my watch out looking at it. And right at 300 seconds before open, I'd pull the pull the cord and the neon sign would go on and away we go. So I just I love the intensity of that. Um, I and mean, it's going back a long time. I mean, that's uh, 20, 22 sure. years ago now. But you <laughs> talked about it. I mean, oh, it's but, important. But it also sends a message to everybody that's working with you about yeah. your commitment. Well, that, that's the point. Yeah. And I mean, is that, is that a connection that you think a, a, a lot of bosses don't don't make? with their employees and things like that? I mean, how important is it to sort of have that same level of commitment and pride in what you're doing that you expect from them? Oh, it's absolutely critical. And and I think anybody that doesn't have that or, or tries to, um, you know, skate through and, and it, it is, to me, when you're leading people, uh, they have to know. Like, so let me just give you a quick example. Sure, please. We're partying last night. It was our annual meeting. We got 600 people uh, in a in a big ballroom, and and we we move over to a different room where there's a, a dance floor, and we got a bunch of young people there, a bunch of baristas. But it's I mean it's it's a party, and and you know a lot of the owners are kind of standing back stoic, and you know like not it doesn't seem like they're having a good time. And I look at my wife, and I'm like, we're going on, we're dancing, and I'm a horrible dancer. I'll just tell you that's true. But I got out there and I wanted to set the tone of this is a party. We're celebrating, right? I'm not going to stand, lean against the wall and watch you guys have fun. So we got out there and we had at it. We had a great time. I mean, we didn't dance for more than a half hour. But it, it, my point is, is as the leader, whatever tone you want in a certain environment, I wanted a party last night for everybody. And so I had to go in and make it a party. So what was your message to, to everybody at the annual meeting this year? What was the message at the annual meeting? Innovation. Uh, you know, there, there's some mind-blowing stuff going on in our world. And uh, from, from a technology standpoint um, and uh, the, the, the B-Cubed concept. And, and then from a, we were really assembled, we've assembled an amazing group of leaders uh, over the last 12 to 18 months. And I really wanted to highlight them uh, as well. And so, but I would say innovation uh, and our, our theme it was space right uh outer space and and so it's it's been uh it was it was a, it was a really good meeting i think um of course everybody wants to see the proof in the pudding I mean, we can talk about innovative concepts all day long sure and they're going to wait and see well talk about putting this down on paper uh it's it's never easy to gather your thoughts to to write i mean and i've been doing this for 25 years and i still stare at the page blankly at times uh how difficult was it to, to put this together has this just been you know, rambling around in your brain for a long time, or is this something you really wanted to do? Well, no, I, I mean, it's, it's more for me about what I want to do 
when the time comes that I'm no longer managing Bigby. Sure. And, and that day is going to come. And so uh, I want to teach. And, and, I, and I've always, I would have been a teacher had I not gone into this business. And so the idea was, is, well, let's lay some content down. So in the end, when I go to apply for teaching jobs or I go to become a, a teacher, everybody will know what the heck I'm about. And they just have to read the books. And so, but, you know, it wasn't that difficult once I got the project figured out. The project started as this big amorphous thing. And, 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 and it was overwhelming and daunting, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And, and then over about a two-year period, I really whittled it down into what it became. And it's, it's going to end up being a four-book series, okay. and this is book one. So once I got that figured out, it wasn't that hard to outline that and, and write it. Well, you know, this is, again, a lot of uh, remembrances of, of past experience, a lot of lessons that you've learned over the 25 years of doing this kind of stuff. Uh, what do you want somebody to take away from? from this book? What's the one point that you make in here that somebody needs to remember? Well, I'm not sure it's a point, one point. It is, I, I really believe this. But ego aside seems to be a big part of this. Yeah, and, and I think if I can do it, I think anybody can do it, and I believe that, right? And it, it is really truly about um, commitment, uh, focus, and, and showing up, and again, I, I'm like a, a broken record with this thing, but showing up and meeting the business where it needs to be met that day when you're there. And, and that's the hard part. And I think a lot of people don't get that right. But, but the, if I can do it, you know, I'm just, I'm a normal kid from Milford, Michigan. You know, I, it's, it's, uh, and if I can do it, I think anybody can do it. Well, Mr. McFall, we appreciate your time today. Michael McFall is the author of Grind, a no-bullshit approach to take your business from concept to cash flow. Of course, the co-CEO of Big B Coffee, Michigan's own Big B Coffee. Uh, we appreciate your time. Continued success. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And that wraps up the Craig Folly Show for this Thursday. Thanks so much for checking it out. Don't forget, you can always find me. Send me an email. Let me know what you want to hear about. Show at gmail.com is the email address. I'm on Snapchat, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. You can find me any of those places. Uh, easy to do. Instagram as well. Uh, so please reach out. Let me know what you like, what you want to see improved, what you want to see changed about this. Because I like doing it. I'm having a lot of fun. But it's uh, not worth doing if you're not finding some value in it. So help me along this path. Thanks for listening. Share it with your friends. If you like it, let them know that we're out here doing this every single day. Don't forget, tomorrow is Friday, which means it's time for the week that was. Alan Lengel and Nancy Derringer will join me once again to go over the news of the week, and it has been a, a busy and crazy week. Obviously, there's plenty to talk about there, uh, but we always enjoy doing that. I will live stream that on Facebook tomorrow, but, of course, I'll also make it available in podcast form, and I will make it available on YouTube as well at DeadlineDetroit.com's uh, YouTube page, so you can find it there, and I'll link to it and all that good stuff. Anyway, have a great day. We'll talk tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.